an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I am joined today by Sports, Sports Illustrated senior writer. He is no longer the NBA media's most eligible bachelor. Please welcome Chris Mannix to the show. Mannix, how's it going? It is nice to be back on the platform that I built as the <laughs> as the founder of Open Floor many many years ago. It is nice to be back. Um, you know, it, it's like coming home to roost. In, right, in a way. right. No, I was gonna I was gonna say it was your Open Floor debut, but then I fact checked myself mm-hmm. and realized that was incorrect, Chris. You have many jobs, and the one that I'm most jealous of is that you get to do for DAZN like in ring interviews after a big fight. I, that's like that was for years. I wanted that job just to interview boxers right after a fight. I think it's thrilling. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the ring after a fight? Probably it was several years ago, and Tyson Fury, who is the heavyweight champion, he he was in New York to face Steve Cunningham, and you know Fury won that fight by knockout. And you know in the post fight interview, he wrestled the microphone away from me and started singing like some Aerosmith song <laughs> to the to the Madison Square Garden crowd, which you know, is goofy enough in and of itself. But the bigger problem was that was a fight that was airing on main network NBC. And they've got hard outs. So, like, I am kind of, I wouldn't say trying to get the mic back, but I'm sort of looking at his handlers being like, hey, can we <laughs> can, can we get this from him? And they're looking at me like, what do you want us to do? He's 6'9", 280 pounds. Like, there's, there's no getting the microphone away from him. So... I remember getting a phone call from Sam Flood, who runs NBC Sports still to this day. Um, you know, great guy. And he said, he said to me, Chris, treat the microphone like you would treat your child. And uh, I've always remembered that. And to this day, no one has been able to uh, pull the microphone away from me uh, since. Yeah, I also would not be trying to get into a fight with Tyson Fury back for that microphone. I just have to ask for all my Love Island fans out there, are we going to get the Tommy Fury? Is it Jake Paul or Logan Paul? Which is which one of them is the boxer? Are Jake we going to get Paul, that fight? Jake Paul, Tommy Fury seems very likely for the end of February. Tommy is is a little unpredictable. He's backed out twice of Jake Paul fights, but this is a fight that's either going to take place in the Middle East or in the UK. Um so I, I think it's it's probably 85% that we get Tommy Fury versus Jake Paul in the next couple of months. All right, there we go. I appreciate it. And uh, open floor fans, fans, please be prepared for the return of the Love Island Minute. The season's already going on in the UK. Should be hitting the US pretty soon. But Chris, we got a lot of basketball things 
To get to today, I want to touch on some of the big things that happened in the NBA on a pretty action-packed Wednesday night of basketball. I got to say it was a lot of fun watching all these games. I want to start with kind of the two rivalry matchups. We got rivalry week going on, and we'll start with the Nets Sixers. This was a really good game, even without Kevin Durant. A lot of fun. It was There was one stretch where Ben Simmons, it was genuinely the most aggressive offense I've seen him play in literally years. Uh, four or five drives to the hoop on four or five possessions in a row, attacking Montrez Harrell. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, the Sixers end up winning this game. Simmons does not play the last kind of six minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, you can still see some of the issues of them playing him and Nick Claxton together. And Claxton's been fantastic this season. It was a good win for Philly. And, you know, I don't want to read too much into one regular season game, but I did think it was interesting because we got the microcosm of the whole Simmons experience, a little passive in in the first half. You see this back and forth with Embiid, which seems to wake him up a little bit, but then he doesn't play the fourth. You know, the trade deadline's coming up. I don't think there's really any buzz around Simmons, but what do you kind of think the Nets' long-term plan with him should be? Because... I think we've seen glimpses of him be that distributor, defender, aggressive guy this season and other stretches where he's just not doing anything. What do you kind of think their long-term plan is for him? Well, you'd like to them to be able to bottle what happened in the third quarter um, on Wednesday night. I mean, he came out of the locker room at halftime and looked like the Ben Simmons we saw two or three years ago and not the kind of broken version we've seen over the last couple of years. I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can. And that's and Jacques Vaughn knew it. That's why I didn't play Simmons down the stretch in the fourth quarter, because as you alluded to, you, you simply can't play Claxton and Simmons together in crunch time minutes. Uh, they're both non-free throw shooters. They're both non-scorers, though Claxton has, has kind of become what the Nets hoped Simmons would be in mm-hmm. terms of going to the basket and scoring at the rim. Um, but it, it's it's pretty untenable to play them together uh, down the stretch, I, I don't. I don't think their long-term plan is to move him. I, I just think they're going to try to keep, you know, incrementally trying to revive him. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't happen this year. It is his first full year back. Um, you know, coming off that injury and all the issues he had in Philadelphia, but I, I think they'll give it, you know, a couple of years to see if you know a full off season, maybe with a new shooting coach, you know, more confidence that gets him back to being the Ben Simmons of old. I mean, it really, it's only a few years ago that he was an all NBA talent, you know, you know, considered, you know, one of the top defensive players in the NBA. He's still in his mid twenties. Like that player is still there. Um, and I think the Nets are going to be, my understanding is the Nets are going to be as patient as they, they possibly can to, to try to bring that out of him, be it this year or in the years to come. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I do wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that he was involved in such a high profile trade, He's not someone that you can just very easily move on from and move him for a couple role players because of the significance of that Harden trade for the franchise and kind of how charged that time was for the team emotionally. I think that if there's a big positive to take away from that game for Brooklyn is, it was the first time Simmons and Embiid were going at each other, and they were going at each other. I mean, Simmons, they were switching Harden and Embiid pick and rolls. Claxton was picking up Harden. Simmons was switching on to Embiid. I thought he held his own multiple times against Embiid. And Embiid, he's not afraid to talk. He's not afraid to get physical. And I thought the fact that Simmons responded to that, even though, again, there were times he'd catch the ball in the paint, not even look at the hoop, that seemed to wake him up a little bit as opposed to you know, push him into a corner, which again, I, I'm not going to sit here and play psychologist, but we've seen him on multiple occasions this year. I don't know if check out is the right phrase, but just kind of be so passive. And I think the fact that the rivalry or whatever it was with Embiid kind of woke him up a little bit was really promising to me. Um, And you, like you said, can they bottle it? I'm not sure. It's interesting to me though, that you said they're going to take their time with this. If only because, you know, the KD thing worked itself out over the summer. There was never going to be a realistic trade for them. But if I'm Sean Marks, especially considering the relationship with Durant, how many things seem to pop up in Brooklyn, I I don't know that I'd be willing to be as patient as he is. Um, especially because with Durant this year, they look every bit of a championship contender, I think. You know, Boston has separated itself, but I think outside of Boston, there's no clear-cut number two, and I think Brooklyn can certainly be that team when Durant is healthy. That 
Doesn't it surprise? Would it, doesn't it surprise you a bit that they're willing to be patient? I mean, if you think uh, they I could mean, be only because what are they going to do? Like, there's no market for him right now. Mm. Like, he's a non-shooting guy on a max contract. Like, it's I, I don't know who's lining up to go and get him. I mean, the kind of team that you know Ben Simmons would need to go to. I mean, like Golden State. You know, I guess kind of jumps to mind because of all the shooters they have out there. But you know, you'd you'd not be just taking on Ben Simmons and his contract. You'd be taking on whatever kind of baggage he has going on right now that's preventing him from getting back to that level. If he was playing at an all-NBA level and the Nets decided, look, we can't, we like Claxton a lot. We can't play them together. Let's try to get dollar-for-dollar dollar value back in return. That I could understand, but there isn't a market for it right now. I, I don't know where you would trade him that you would get anything of value back right now. It's just not... It's just not on the table at the moment. Where do you land on Joel Embiid's suck it celebration? Are you pro against nonplussed? I mean, it, it, I feel the same way about that as I do like the critics of Steph, Steph Curry getting ejected the other night for throwing his mouthpiece. Like the NBA lays it out pretty clear that you, you know, Joel Embiid, you, you're going to get fined for doing that. <laughs> just like the Sam, the Sam Cassell, you know, Pedro Serrano dance. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, they, they, yeah. You're gonna, you can't do that. You're going to get dinged pretty significantly for that. Same thing with Steph Curry. Like, you know, what did I read? Steph Curry's three ejections have been related to All throwing the mouthpiece. Like, should I we believe- know by now at this point? We can call it goofy, and he certainly wasn't throwing it at the referee. But, it, you know, the, the NBA officials, like, they give, like, seminars on this stuff. Like, they tell players, you know, pretty clear, you can't throw things into the crowd. Like, because... You know, what happens if it's not a mouthpiece and somebody gets hit? Like, I'm not trying to be a wet blanket here, but it's like, <laughs> stop, you know, you, you should know better. Stop doing that. And Embiid, you know, I, I look, I was a DX fan growing up, too. There we I know go. What he's doing. Of course. I, I know what he was doing, but like, he's going to get dinged for that uh, as well because the NBA is not, uh, not looking, will not look favorably on guys that are directing people to their crotch area uh, yeah. during celebrations. I just want to say I love it. I love that he's willing to eat the fine. Um, I think it's very funny. Also a big DX fan growing up. I'm glad someone's carrying on the legacy. Um, we Again, I keep mentioning this every week. and I know that you're a loyal listener to the podcast, Chris, but we don't talk about the Sixers enough, and we're not going to get too deep into them, I think, today. But they've had a crazy 10-day stretch, a West Coast trip. They got a bunch of big wins. They get this win against the Nets. They're starting to look like the team we all thought they could be after the Harden trade. Um, do you think the you know the Celtics have Al Horford, who's probably I think the best defender of Joel Embiid in the NBA, um, at least considering he's the best guy who can defend Embiid and also not kill you offensively. Like it's very hard to find the players who you can put on Embiid that also are not just ruining your offense because you need bulk down Al Horford, there. Al Horford is so good at defending Embiid that the Sixers <laughs> gave him a four-year yeah. deal not to defend Embiid anymore. <laughs> right. But do you think do you think Boston – I don't think Boston's afraid of anyone, but who do you think Boston sees as maybe their biggest competition in the East? Probably Milwaukee still, mm. you know, because the memory of last year's conference semifinals is still fresh. No Chris Middleton in that series. They still needed a miraculous Tatum performance in Game Six and a winning Game Seven uh, to advance. So they know how tough the Bucks are. The Bucks are the same team, you know. If Middleton, who's now finally back on the floor, if he can stay there, they're probably the most formidable opponent. I mean, the Sixers are tough, but to your point, um, you know, the Celtics have Horford. They have Robert Williams, uh, they still have Luke Cornett, who I constantly want to call Tyler Zeller. Like they've got, <laughs> you know, they've got some depth there. They're still on the lookout too before the deadline for one more body, presumably because of the big teams they're going to have to face in the postseason. So they could add somebody else to that mix. So I, I and you look at the backcourt too. I mean, Maxi Harden, they're great, but the Celtics, they've got Marcus Smart, they've got Jalen right. Brown, they've got Derek White. They have got defenders that they can throw at these guys. So I don't think Philadelphia makes them as nervous as maybe Milwaukee does because it was Milwaukee without Chris Middleton that had them on the brink of elimination um, on the road in game six. And and that that is uh, still something in their brains. Yeah, I'd also be really interested to see how Philly tries to guard a team like Boston in the playoffs with all the depth they have on the wing, especially if they play Brogdon, 
Tatum, Brown together. I think it's going to be very difficult for a team like Philly. Let's get into the second big national game from last night. You alluded to this. The Warriors and Grizzlies, man, they just play really entertaining games, and somehow there's this discourse. Is it a rivalry? Is it not a rivalry? It's a rivalry, okay? These teams clearly don't like each other. They get up for playing each other. That that should be all it takes. Like, we don't need to get into this, but the playoffs and shit, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. The teams don't like each other. The fans don't like each other. The games are very fun. Another really good one last night. Steph Curry, as you alluded to, getting ejected late. So mad at Jordan Poole for taking an ill-advised three-pointer that he throws his mouth guard. Um, really encompassing the Jordan Poole experience. Poole later hits the game winner on a nice back cut on Zaire Williams with a, uh, two seconds to go. Really nice play by him. The Warriors get the win. This coming after they also beat Memphis on Christmas Day in Golden State. That game, obviously, without Steph. Um... You know, the Grizzlies were really hot. I, I th- think they've now lost a couple in a row. Uh, they were really hot after that Christmas Day game. They finally had an extended stretch of good health here. You know, they rest guys here and there, whatever. But Jaron Jackson fouled out last night. He's been healthy. Bain is back, although I think still working his way into form a bit. There was a play last night late in the fourth. I don't know how you feel about Dylan Brooks. I generally really like him, even though he's just so chaotic. But Ja gets a double, kicks it out to Brooks. He takes a three that you really don't want him to take. Golden State ends up winning this game by two. I'm curious. If the playoffs started right now, the Grizzlies would be the two seed. Um, would you pick the Grizzlies in a playoff series over the Warriors? No. Um, and I think the Warriors are still a mess. You know, I, I, And, I, and I, I think they need... And we've talked about this on the crossover. I think they know they need um, another body. They, they've got to mm. get somebody for that bench. Um, you know, I'm all for the Jonathan Kaminga can solve all, pro, you know, idea. But that feels a little too pie in the sky uh, for me. So they need one more body there. But the Grizzlies, look, last night kind of encapsulated. And even, the, I mean, look, they lost on a miracle shot at the end. Mm-hmm. Um not a miracle shot per se, but like a, a last-minute shot lost by two points. So it was close. Um, but last night sort of highlighted some of their problems. The Grizzlies are the number one defensive team in the NBA, but they are middle of the pack at defending the three. And if you look at the numbers, the Warriors shot, what, 44% from three-point ranks. They also don't shoot the three particularly well. In this game, they shot 33%, 32% rather, uh, from three-point range. They're also a team that, and I think the numbers still reflect this. I was looking it up last week. They they don't play in the half court very much. They're a mm-hmm. transition team. Mm-hmm. They get up and down. And look, that's great in the regular season, but you've got to be an efficient half-court team in the playoffs to win at the highest level. And the Warriors know how to do that. The Grizzlies have not proven they can do that yet. So I'm not trying to, to, to clown the Grizzlies here, but they, they've got a couple of a couple of holes that I think need to to be addressed. And I don't think you need to make a deal necessarily to address that, but you've got to clean some of that up. You've got to become a more efficient three-point shooting team. you got to defend the three-point shot better, and you've got to prove you can be uh, efficient in the half court. These are just kind of unknowns about Memphis against Golden State and everybody else, really, uh, because everybody kind of looks at that one number, defensive efficiency, number one in the NBA, and that's great. Jaron Jackson, one of the best defensive players in this league. But, you know, more often than not, you either have to be a great three-point shooting team or you got to defend the three-pointer really well. And the Grizzlies have been kind of middle of the pack at that at both those areas all season long. Yeah, Memphis is obviously fantastic on defense, but they're not the kind of runaway defensive juggernaut that I think you need to be to have their kind of offense and succeed no, Boston in the was last year. Boston was a, exactly. a juggernaut defensively. Boston in the second half of last season was like one of the best teams we've seen this century. Good, yeah. yeah, it was, I, I, yeah, I, kind of shocking in some ways like that teams were able to push them in the playoffs and they didn't win the finals. I mean, obviously they had some injury stuff, but they were dominant. Memphis, I do think they need to make a move. Like you look at, I'm just looking at their their top six guys in minutes right now: Morant, Bain, Brooks, Adams, Triple J, Tyus Jones. Love that top six in a playoff series. Trust those guys. Tyus Jones, he's not going to get six man buzz. Maybe he should. He's fantastic. But then you start to look at Conchar, Aldama, Zaire Williams, Roddy, Laravia, Laravia, like. Who is going to be their 
seven eighth guy in a playoff series where it, it is going to matter to some extent, you know, who those guys are. And I just don't know that I trust any of them. You mentioned their their three point shooting can be mediocre. There are some nights where they have like nineteen ninety eight three point stat lines. It's like five of seventeen, and it's like, mm-hmm. what happened here? Like, what, what basketball are they playing? And you know, to their credit, they have Ja, who's so good at getting to the rim. They get out in transition. They're really good at that, but I, it worries me a little bit. Like you lose a guy, even just like Kyle Anderson, who's a steady vet who has playoff experience. Like, is Conchar gonna play in a playoff series? Are we? Are we like? Are we rolling with Conchar? He's not a bad player, but are we trusting him? Are we trusting Aldama? There in that Christmas Day game, Aldama was just getting bullied by Draymond Green, and <laughs> this guy like. Draymond could have like beaten him with a club and I don't think Aldama was getting a foul call that was on Christmas what do you think is going to happen in the playoffs when refs are swallowing the whistles I'm a little worried about I mean they have such an enviable top five top four Steven Adams has been so good for them but I'm just a little worried about some of these role players in a playoff series no I, I think that's fair um in as I'm making my kind of list of, of tiers of teams that need to be aggressive by the deal, Memphis is in that top tier. Mm-hmm. Um, because you look at the Western Conference and it, it's open. I mean, the the number one seed like two months ago was Utah. Like a month before that was the Pelicans. Now you're looking at you know Memphis and, and all the teams that are, are around them. Denver currently sitting mm-hmm. at the top. You know, it, it, the field's open right now. And if you're the Grizzlies, you don't want to be one role player short of getting to the finals. Like, that would be a disaster. That's why they, you know, they're a team that internally, they don't like to do anything. They just want to grow mm. internally, keep their draft picks. I understand why they hit on these draft picks. You yeah. know, Desmond Bain was an excellent pick. I think Zaire Williamson is going to pan out. Like, all these guys, you know, a lot of these guys can play. So, but if you're... Memphis, and you've got your own stockpile of draft picks. I think they still have an extra pick. The Warriors pick from, was the Iguodala trade from a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. I think they've still got one of those. If you've got a cache of picks and you've got some semi-interesting young players, why aren't you calling Danny Ainge in Utah and seeing if you can extract Jordan Clarkson or Malik Beasley or one of these shooters that I was talking about? Someone that can be the eighth man in that rotation and be a presence from the outside. That just makes... Sense like you know, but I mean, I get it. Dealing with Danny Ainge is like going to the dentist without Novocaine. But like you've you've still got a you've still got to try and pull one of those guys out of there. Maybe you do call Detroit and say, "What's it going to take to get Boyan Bogdanovich out of there?" Maybe you do call Dallas and see and say you'll give up a first round pick to get Christian Wood out of there. I mean, like I I I think sitting on their hands would be a mistake. I really do because this is a team that with one more player can at the least at least get to the finals and once you get there who knows you know who knows what can happen who knows what the matchup uh, ultimately looks like so they they're they're a team i think that that is at least one to watch and one i think should get aggressive in the next couple of weeks ready to unlock a world of entertainment philips roku tv has america's favorite tv streaming platform built in so you can watch live tv catch every game discover must see shows and hit movies and get all the best streaming apps in one place like iheart for all your favorite music radio and podcasts Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Now, this is maybe me getting too hopeful or too caught up in kind of the trade buzz, but you mentioned it. This feels like the most wide-open title race we've had maybe in, I don't even know how long. The, the longest I can remember the most kind of wide-open title chase we have. There are a few teams that have all their picks. Phoenix is one of them. Memphis is another one. Should someone just give up three first-round picks for OG Ananobi? Like, I, I kind of think someone should. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy because he's not a Donovan Mitchell-type player he's not a rudy i mean whatever we don't have to get into the gobert trade again but you know he's not a superstar but he's just such a high floor player that is going to help you so much in the playoffs like if you traded again i like dylan brooks this team's better with dylan brooks on the floor if you traded some of these dylan brooks possessions for og and anobi possessions that could make a big difference for memphis like phoenix could desperately use someone like him is it would is it stupid for a team to pay that price or is it opportunistic in a wide open season to say, let's just go get this guy? No, I think about trades, honestly, like I think about movies in, in the sense that, you know, they, they say about making movies, it's not how much a movie costs, how much a movie makes. So it, it's not how much a trade costs, it's what a trade does for you. And, you know, if Memphis goes out, for example, to bring them back into the discussion, if they go out and they deal three first round picks to get OG Ananobi, adding that kind of three and D type of player uh, to their mix, who is both young under contract for, I think, at least one more year and someone they could re-sign long-term, that might be worth the price, especially when you're probably talking about three picks that are going to be in the 20s for the foreseeable future. Um, but you've got to be sure that he's the missing link. And you've also got to call Toronto's bluff a little bit. I mean, three firsts is a big haul. It's like you said, it was that's what Donovan Mitchell cost plus a player. Uh, Rudy Gobert was four, really five, because Walker Kessler is really friggin' good, and people <laughs> missed the boat on him. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you should be worried. If you think Ananobi is the guy, and if you think for the next five to six years he is going to be a staple of your rotation and you're going to be a really good team, I wouldn't blink at the asking price. But if he's not, uh, that's a steep price to pay for a guy that's probably not ever going to be one of your top two guys definitely, maybe not one of your top three mm-hmm. guys uh, in your rotation. I'm very interested to see what happens with him. Everyone's talked about Toronto. It's not an original thought. But, man, oh, man, there's so many teams that you just want to parachute him in on and see how they look. Um, I really kind of hope he gets to go to a contender. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Anthony Davis returns last night. I thought it was a very smart move to ease him in in a game against the San Antonio Spurs. And he was – Fantastic. I think it, he only played, what, 24 minutes, like 21 points, a bunch of blocks. Um, you know, I was working on that Bam Adebayo story earlier this year, and periodically I like to check, you know, which are the players doing the best in the restricted area, non-paint restricted area, the paint. I think Anthony Davis was shooting like 78.7% in the restricted area, which is like, even for the restricted area, absurd. And so it was really nice to watch him last night. You know, he took one three. I think a three was his first shot, but really get back into the paint a ton. That's where he was having a ton of success to start the season and looking like MVP AD again, just dominating the rim on both ends of the floor. Were you at the game? What did you What did you make of his return? I was at the game. I thought he was excellent. He moved well. Um, it only took him merely a couple of minutes to to kind of get his rhythm back after he got mm-hmm. to the free throw line. And that first shot went in. I think he really got into it. He had two blocks into the first quarter and and really got got into the flow. So, look, I, I, he's obviously a major difference maker for that team. You can see the way he energizes them, definitely defensively and even offensively, his ability to kind of step out top of the key, make shots, uh, get to the basket, you know, create second-chance opportunities, the whole thing. And, look, when you have him in the rotation – you can bump Thomas Bryant down. You can bump mm-hmm. Rui Hashimura, the new guy, uh, down. Like so, it's it's valuable in that sense. My 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 concern, as it will be every game, is is that foot going to hold up? And you saw there was in the third a scare quarter. last night. Yeah, like, yeah, he, he went down the third quarter. I mean, Zach Collins came up underneath him. Why Zach Collins was contesting a uh, 
you know, 48 <laughs> footer, I don't really understand. But um, Zach Collins came underneath him and immediately Anthony Davis grabbed his ankle. And, you know, it's kind of like a writerly phrase to say the entire arena gasped. But I'm telling you, the entire <laughs> arena gasped as Anthony Davis <laughs> lay on the floor and he didn't get up uh, right away. But he did get up. He was fine. But this injury, like, it was an injury they couldn't really define for weeks, it seemed like, mm-hmm. where, like, what is it? Does he need another scan? How many doctors are going to look at it? There's a bone spur there. There's a stress reaction there. Like, there's a lot of things that are scary when it comes to big men and feet, which are generally problematic when they get uh, commingled. So, I, I look, if he's healthy, and I think Hashimura is really good, too. He's a nice fit for that team. Uh, they're a team that's... that that you have to keep your eye on in the next, you know, few months because healthy AD, healthy LeBron, Hachimura part of the rotation, you know, if Westbrook can limit his off the deep end plays to, you know, two per game, like they're they're going to be dangerous in the playoffs, but you know, it's game by game with Anthony Davis. He steps on somebody's foot wrong, you know, you're talking about a, a something that may require surgery. I mean, surgery was discussed originally for for this uh this foot what? injury. So it sounds like know. it's happening in the offseason no matter what he's even alluded to. We're going to have to get the bones uh, yeah, for that, it cleaned up. That would up. scare yeah. the crap out of me. If, if yeah. you're like the Lakers and you're looking at free agents, like, you know, if he has, I mean, foot surgeries are like, they're real. Like, you know, there are major ones, obviously. You don't want to hear list Frank. You know, mm-hmm. that's the new, that's the new word in the basketball lexicon that is like. The new microfracture. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that anymore. Yeah. So, but. Yeah, I'm just. I, there's a long way to go in the regular season, and a lot of games to be played. And I, you know, I would at the very least be deeply concerned about Davis's ability to stay out there on the floor. Yeah, it's tough because that's it's a little bit reductive. Not even reductive. Like it's not fun to reduce the an- analysis to can he stay on the floor? But that really is what it comes down to with AD. We know how is. good he yeah. is. Yeah, we know how good he is when he plays. Uh, he. I think looks the best since he's left New Orleans this season. Uh, that's how good he was playing earlier this year. I I like what you said. Like for them to have a bench backcourt now that's Thomas Bryant and Rui Hachimura is like legitimate considering where they were to start the season. I think Dennis Schroeder's been fantastic for the Lakers the last couple of weeks. Like you know they had that game against Miami a couple of weeks ago where they won without LeBron and AD. Schroeder was fantastic in that game. Um, he was making plays late in that Memphis game. Uh, again, last night, like he's just a, a very solid player for them. And things are kind of settling into focus, and that's even without Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker. I think Walker's been better for them than even I expected this year. So they're in position. Like As much grief as we give Lakers management, which they deserve for not putting a team around LeBron that can compete to see how close they are with a team like the Warriors, for example, and their ownership group. Like we had a story this week in the athletic. They're not sure if Bob Myers is going to be back. And now I'm looking at it like, (laughs) are the Lakers relatively even that embarrassing when you see what's going on with some of these other teams like Golden State? So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with where the Lakers have ended up at this point in the season. I think if LeBron and AD stay healthy and they're one more move away, I don't think the Hachimura thing is going to yeah, be a and big... And I think, I think that move is coming, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, it, you know, this Hachimura deal foreshadowed at least one more move because the Lakers, their cap space next summer is now gone because yeah. you don't... you know, Whatever you think of second-round picks, you don't trade three of them to get a guy you're not going to re-sign. And mm-hmm. without Hachimura, they're at $34 million. That's close to max cap space. Um, with him... You know, even if he's at 10, 12 million, he probably is a little bit more. Uh, you're going to eat up half of that. And right. you're talking about having only enough money to get, you know, what Kelly Olinick is worth these days. You know, for, <laughs> right. For, so I, you know, I, I think because of that reality, I think you're going to see the Lakers far more aggressive in the next couple of weeks, looking at some of the Utah guys, looking at Bojan Bogdanovic. Maybe there's somebody else out there that's available, kind of waving the white flag on the idea that next summer, they're going to be able to go and get a marquee free agent like Kyrie Irving to come play uh, in LA. And look, that's, you know, who knows how that's going to work out long term, but short term, that's going to make them even more dangerous. You put Boyan Bogdanovich yeah. on that team, they're an even more dangerous offensive team. And you saw LeBron last night. I mean, he's been on these scoring binges of late, but when he's surrounded by guys that can play, like Hashimura and by Anthony Davis, he's passing the ball. He's given mm-hmm. out 11 assists in that game. He's not looking to. You know, put up forty 
when on, on any given night. So you give him another weapon, that team's going to be that much better. It's going to be interesting to see. I think it also opens up, like you said, they do decide to move Russ and attach those first-round picks. The idea that they can take back longer-term salary really opens up the idea for some of the moves they can make, and I wonder if they'll try to get involved with someone like Van Vliet or whoever it is. It could be really interesting. I want to get to All-Star, but I just want to ask real quick. I really, really enjoyed those Nets-Sixers games and the Warriors-Grizzlies games last night. Um, it was a ton of fun, and we have like Nuggets, Sixers coming up on Saturday. We have Lakers-Celtics coming up. I'm already willing to call Rivalry Week a success. If anything, maybe we need to make a bigger deal out of it next year. I, no. I don't know. No, no. you're out no. on it? Come on, Chris. No. no, Rivalry Week is stupid. Just just schedule the damn <laughs> games. Like, Stop trying to make... Stop trying to give greater meaning to meaningless regular season games in January, February. Everybody knows what the NBA needs to do. They need to cut down the number of games. Everybody knows it, but nobody's willing to do it, and nobody ever will because the revenue takes a cut with it. So they can keep putting lipstick on a pig on these January, February games where... <laughs> You're doing rivalry week when really that's what Christmas is for, right? Like Christmas Day games are <laughs> right, rivalry right. week games. You're talking about that stupid midseason tournament that's going to have no consequence whatsoever, and <laughs> and you're you're still dealing with you know players being load managed into the ground. Like it's it's crazy, and and it's having a tangible effect on the quality of these games. I mean, look at just Wednesday night. You should have had a matchup between two former yep. two time MVPs in Nikola Jokic and Giannis Tentacumpo, and Denver was on the second end of a back-to-back in that game. Also, uh, yeah. I just want to point out, it was a New Orleans to Milwaukee back-to-back, which you almost never see. And a shout-out to all the Nuggets writers who had to get from New Orleans to Milwaukee, which does not have a lot of direct flights. It, one of the strangest back-to-backs I've ever seen. Listen, I did love the games. I'm the kind of person who still gets excited about regular season matchups, and they were a lot of fun to watch. You are right. I the do regular... too, but you don't have to call it rivalry. <laughs> like, what, 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 what is that? Like, that... this is a new rivalry between the Grizzlies and the Warriors, that's for sure. But you, to me, you just do it on Christmas Day. Like, there's nothing, there's <laughs> nothing the NBA can do. Like, they've done all they can do to right. make the end of the season consequential by putting the two play-in games, flattening the lottery odds. That was brilliant. That was well done by Adam Silver, well mm-hmm. done by the Players' Union. That gave meaning to what had been just brutally bad games at the end of March and into April. But there is no solution to fixing the problem of January-February games. None whatsoever. You are stuck with games that people aren't going to watch at the level you want them to be watching, and no amount of college slogans and, <laughs> you know, midseason tournaments for the Oscar Robertson Award or whatever the hell you're going to call it. Like, it, it, it's just not going to work. It's, it's, there's no solution to this problem other than cutting games, and we all know they're not going to do it. Basically, I'm a mark for a good marketing scheme. That's what happened. Uh, it's okay. You're watching the games anyway. They're not trying to get you. They're trying to get the casual fans (laughs) to pay attention. They can't do it. That's true. I'll see if my mom and dad uh, cared about it at all. See if they cared about rivalry week. Ask them, what do you think of NBA rivalry week? I'll I'll walk out the front door and ask people the same thing. They Um, will not know. I will say, I'm with you. It should be a 58 game regular season, one home. That's too small. That's too small. That's too small. I like 72. 72 is fine. Take 10 away. You eliminate all back to backs. So there really is no excuse for load managing. Yeah. Um, And by the way, you like, look, games are separated by time zones, of course, but how many times we had two games on that we wanted to watch? Like, live. Like, all the time it happens. Um, So you space some of these games. Maybe you don't have. 10 a night or 12 a night, maybe you have seven or night, eight or night. Yeah. You know, but they're not going to do it because nobody's giving any money back. And I understand that. It's it's, yeah. it's money, although I know, think it's the, old, the, pro- the old Gordon the Gecko is, line. How many yeah. yachts do you want a jet ski behind or whatever that was? But, I think the the money conversation too is I think it's a short-term hit for a long-term gain, but no one no one wants to be the the guy taking the short-term hit nobody for nobody. the league 10 years from now. From football playoffs to basketball madness. 
TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. We're recording this on a Thursday. The All-Star starters are going to be announced tonight, and we each wrote, you have an actual ballot. I just have the fake one that I get to peddle on sportsillustrated.com. But we each made our All-Star picks. You did the Eastern Conference. I did the Western Conference. I want to run through... Um, our all-star picks and talk a little bit about some of the guys. I, I think it was a robust all-star field this year. There were some really tough cuts. Um, so why don't you go first? Or I, I have your story pulled up if you want me to run down all your all-star picks if you don't remember them. But, you know, there's definitely a couple, I think, interesting decisions to be made about starters, who's going to be left out, etc. So... Do you want me to run through your picks, or do you got them pulled up? Uh, you can run through them there. I'm, All right, there we go. Yeah. I got it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in the East front court, uh, there's really four guys for three spots. You have Embiid, Durant, and Tatum. That means you're gonna you're bringing Giannis off the bench. And in the back court, you have Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown. So I guess I'll just throw it to you. You know, I think Tyrese Halliburton is a guy people are looking at as a starter potentially. Obviously, Giannis. What were kind of the deciding factors for you putting Giannis and Tyrese to the bench, elevating guys like Jalen? And I mean, the front court in the East was just an impossible decision to make. Yeah, it was impossible. Um, you know, look, I, I, with Giannis, he's having a monster year statistically. Um, the Bucks are really good. One of the things that stuck out to me when I was looking over some of the numbers is the Raptor ranking for Giannis, which is not the end-all be-all, but it's 538's mm. kind of value rankings to to kind of boil it down. And you had Embiid, Durant, and Tatum in the top five in those Raptor rankings. Giannis was 26th. He was behind mm. Franz Wagner in, in that <laughs> rankings. So... If you're looking for a differentiator, that was probably it. As I said, I don't have any issue with somebody that puts Giannis on that team. The guy's averaging more than 30 points. He's averaging, what, 12 rebounds, second in the NBA in rebounding. He's still one of the best defensive players in the league. It's, you know, you're, you're choosing from a bunch of gold bricks out there. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it. But those Raptor rankings, you know, when I was going through kind of my numbers, that that stuck out to me. Um Halliburton Brown, kind of the same thing. Like Halliburton's great. You know, he's the NBA leading assist maker. Um, he's he's changed that entire changed the entire dynamic of Indiana. They're they're mm-hmm. an up tempo team now. Like they were a crawl it up team in the past. Now they're an up tempo team. Um, Brown, I, I guess I've just seen a lot of Brown, and I've seen him grow even more this year. Yeah. You know, his numbers are fantastic. His mid range game is fantastic Mm -hmm. um his three-point shot last couple of years has not been what it was i think two years ago but it's still reasonably consistent he's still a very good defensive player i I just gave him a slight edge on my ballot for for that reason but again no no qualms with some of the votes halliburton the only obvious one was donovan mitchell like you know if you don't vote for mitchell you 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 should have your ballot (laughs) revoked yeah uh it's 
funny about Jalen Brown, it's because Boston is such a three-point shooting heavy team that you just kind of assume he's a huge part of that attack. But you mentioned the mid-range. Like, he's dominant from that area. I think he's... One of the best in the NBA, yeah, top five. Yeah, yeah, maybe the best this year. Or I guess I mean, Durant's always going to be there, but and he's been dominant. And an absurd athlete. Like, you yeah. know, when it comes to getting to the rim, finishing, he's as good as it gets. And, I, you know, like, I just, look, when you look at some of the numbers, when Tatum goes out, like... Brown plays like Tatum, like he yeah. puts up thirty plus. So he, he's in a way um, subjugating himself in yeah. a way to to for the betterment of the team, and I think he deserves some credit for that too. Yeah. Plus, the Celtics are the number one team in the NBA, and the number one team in the NBA, in my mind, deserves to have a couple of guys on that team. I agree. Um, I just love the edge Jalen Brown plays with every night, man. It feels like he really is mean to the well, other yeah, team because, in a way that I appreciate because he credit like you know Jalen has been you know, irritated with me for one reason or the other for the better part of like the last three years. Um, you know, because he's all, look, he's always in trade rumors. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, if you're someone like me, that's on TV all the time and you're asked the question, would you trade Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis? You will sound like an idiot. If you don't say, yes, I would <laughs> same thing this past summer. Would you trade Jalen Brown for, uh, Kevin Durant? Well, quite frankly, I would, and, you know, would I still? I don't know, but it's not like Durant's diminished himself this year. So, like, he, he just winds up in these trade rumors, and, you know, I, I can understand him being bothered by it and bothered by the people that um, that have are forced to discuss them at, at length. Um, but it, it it's given him an edge. It's given him a chip, and it's I think it's certainly been something along with the loss in the finals has driven him the, and during the course of this year. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the other picks. So obviously you have Giannis on the bench, Bam, Siakam. You have your backcourt reserves, Halliburton you like and Jimmy cried if I, if I left Bam off. I almost left Bam off. You would have like cried if I left Bam <laughs> off. Like you, your, your, your Eastern Conference ballot is probably Bam, Tyler Hero, and Jimmy Butler all in the starting lineup. <laughs> Don't forget uh, Haywood Highsmith. Ah, good. Yeah, can't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. can't miss out on that. In my wild card pick, Haywood Highsmith. Your backcourt reserves, Halliburton and Jimmy Butler. Your wild cards, Jalen Brunson and Trey Young. Um, did you give serious consideration to Julius Randle? I mean, the numbers are there. Yeah. Um, I think some Knicks fans would say he's having a better season than Bam. I, I don't think I agree, but... Of course you do um, <laughs> I mean, Bam is still, I think, a top five defender in the NBA, even if he's not getting the DPOI buzz. His problem but, was like game. His, his problem was games at one point, right? Like he had missed some games. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, like, but I think he's. I think I wrote this. I think he's up to enough games where it doesn't matter, where it's not yeah. as consequential. But who is kind of the toughest guy for you to leave out? And I mean, even Trey Young. You mentioned this. The team's been disappointing. His shooting's been disappointing. He's come along lately. The numbers are there. Um, who is kind of the toughest cut for you in the East? I think there were two. It was Julius Randle, and I really just went with, you know, one of the Knicks. And and Randle mm-hmm. has had a tremendous bounce back year. His numbers right. aren't quite what they were two years ago, but they're significantly better than last season. He is a driving force for that team offensively. But Jalen Brunson has come in there and been a breath of fresh air. Like, his numbers are up as well. He's in the mid-20s in scoring. He's playmaking. He's defending better than he has I think in years past, and I, I do think you know Randall's success this year, in part, can be attributed to the presence of Jalen Brunson. I think Jalen mm-hmm. Brunson being yeah. there and taking some of the load off has you know allowed Randall to do some of the things that he's doing. So that was a tough call. I knew I was going to go with a Nick in that spot. I just went with the other Nick um, and not there. Uh, for me, it was Trey Young or Kyrie, um, mm. and like Trey Young is so bleh this year like it's yeah. just like uninspiring that team, uninspiring that team stinks like you know I, I don't know what the direction is you know but trey is still putting up numbers he's still like hovering in the neighborhood of 30 points per game and he's still one of the most dangerous offensive players in the league so yeah i i, I weighed that against Kyrie, who's been great for for stretches uh but he did have that you know beginning of the season that was dysfunctional uh, the Nets have tailed off with Durant out of the lineup, um, and that gave Trey Young uh, a slight edge. But neither one of those guys is really inspiring choices for that that proverbial final final playoff spot. I was just choosing the guy that was was a little bit more inspiring, perhaps, than in this at this stage of the season. Yeah, I don't have an issue with keeping Kyrie Irving out of the All Star game this year. I, I mean, listen, it, he's 
quote unquote stay out of trouble, however you want to describe it, uh, recently, and he's been playing all right. But I'm I'm okay with Trey Young there, and I'd be okay with Randall there. Um, yeah, like, but there were genuinely, I think, some really tough cuts to make this year. I'll run through my West starters real quick, which I think are fairly straightforward. I'd Jokic, LeBron, and Sabonis in my front court. For the backcourt, I went with Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. I think Steph is maybe the quote-unquote controversial pick there. He was tough. Yeah, I mean, between – I'm curious, who, who did you have on your ballot between – or in the West backcourt? Because I think yeah, Luka's got to be a lock. Yeah, Luka's a lock. Um, John ja Morant was mm. my choice there. And again, winning factors into that as well. I mean, Ja um, has been as healthy, I think, as Steph this year, and the Grizzlies have been really good. And he's the driving force behind. He's the number one guy. Uh, on that team. So, yeah, that, that was it, it was close. Um, you know, the, the tougher one was probably, and I had Sabonis as well in that third uh, forward spot. Um, if Zion had played more games, he, you know, probably would have locked that in because his team was winning and he was putting up incredible numbers, but he's missed too much time and the, and the Pelicans have kind of fallen off. Sabonis, I think he's probably going to have the worst numbers of anybody, like in the All Star game. Um, he's under 20 points per game, but he's a playmaker, he's a rebounder, and he's a big reason Sacramento is the most surprising team in the NBA uh, right now. He'll probably be the last guy picked when it comes to selecting <laughs> yeah. these guys um, because I don't know if defense, or not defense, if rebounding and you know elbow playmaking is valued in the All-Star <laughs> game, but uh, he, he deserves to me, I think he deserved that starting spot. I agree. Uh, cleaning the glass has Sacramento with the 122.3 offensive rating with Savonis on the floor, one of the best offenses ever. 58 win pace with him on the floor. He's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, playing through Ste- a broken thumb. Guy's yeah, playing that, through that's a broken true. thumb right yeah. now. And he's doing that because if he goes out and has surgeries or has to sit out, it's like three to six weeks and that could cost him positioning. The The friggin' guy's playing with a broken thumb. Yeah, he's been truly fantastic in that, that third all-NBA spot for center after Embiid and Jokic, it's Sabonis, AD, and Bam. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. Um, I, I went with Steph in my in my piece only because his numbers are just so close to his MVP, 2016 MVP season, that I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I, I got to put him in, but I, I think, you know, Jaw, Shagil, just Alexander, they were all good picks there. The front court reserves, I think this is also where it gets interesting because – I have Lowry Markinen, who I think has been fantastic. The game's in Utah. I'm okay with putting him in there. He has the numbers, 25-9-2. I went with Zion and AD also. People are, I think, going to make injury arguments for them, but I I feel like they've just been so good when they're on the floor that you can't leave them out. You can't. I don't know how you can put AD in there. Like I I didn't fill out a full ballot, obviously, for Mm -hmm. the coaches pick the reserves, but AD's been out since December 16th, man. Yeah, that's a long time. He's going to play. You know, now he's back. He's going to play the next couple weeks headed in. I'm with you. Like, it's just, uh, you know, but then it's like, who do you want there in the front court? Um because it, it, I wouldn't say it gets bleak, but it weirdly gets like, I picked, I'll get to Aaron Gordon in a second. You know, my backcourt reserve is pretty obvious, John Shea. Let, let me put it this way. For my wild cards, I went with Dame and Aaron Gordon. I mean, I think Devin Booker has a great case. Paul George has a good case. Um, Lillard just had the most efficient 60-point game ever. I know the Blazers have been sliding the last few weeks, but I think Damien's been fantastic. Okay, so I'm in the locker room. Uh, the Nuggets locker room at Staples Center a couple weeks ago, chatting with Aaron Gordon, talking about his all-star case. And the conversation's wrapping up. And I'm just kind of, just as a throwaway, I'm like, do people still come up to you about your dunk contest? He's like, yeah, it's really annoying. And I was like, I was like, so you wish they'd stop? And he's like, yes, I wish people would stop bringing it up. Unprompted. He just goes, if I'm in the all-star game, I'll do the dunk contest. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And I was like, you know, people are going to run crazy with this quote, right? And he's just like, yeah, doubles down on it. And I was like, that for me, frankly, enough. I'm like, if that's what it takes to get Aaron Gordon in the dunk contest, let's do the right thing and put him in the All-Star game. You mentioned that Boston is two guys. Denver's now separated themselves a little bit in the West. They're in the number one seed. I'm okay with them getting two guys. But they're just the problem with the West is so many of the top guys. I mentioned PG, Book, AD. A lot of injuries make it kind of a weird situation on who to put in. Yeah, um, 
I wouldn't put AD in. I mean, he's great, but I, it, it's been over a month, like a month and a half since he's been out. Like, right. that's, so, that's just too much. It's like Jaron Jackson Jr. probably? Um, my front court would probably be Markinen, I think, belongs in there. Uh, I would put Zion in there, and I would put Aaron Gordon in there. I mean, mm. yeah. Look, I, I saw Denver the other night too. We were both at at Staples and talking to some of their front office guys. Like, you know, they can't rave enough about his impact defensively. Like, th- this is the player. That, everything they hope they acquired from Orlando a couple of years ago. This is the guy. Um, so I I would uh, I would give him. Uh, give him that slot, and if he's going to dunk, great. Although I think the dunk contest has become stupid. I don't even watch it anymore. <laughs> um, you know, Shea Gildas Alexander has to be an all star. Has mm-hmm. to like that's mm-hmm. a mortal lock. The guy's like effortlessly putting up thirty and a half these days. Like it's it's unbelievable. So I'd put him uh, on that list. Um, you know, I, I guess the, Lillard for sure. You know, you saw him put up sixty on Wednesday night. You know, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, does De'Aaron Fox make it? Like he's that was that was the toughest cut for me, and I wonder. Booker's been out too long. Yeah, McCollum is, I think, a a legitimate candidate there because of his impact. I'm not giving it to Anthony Edwards because Minnesota stinks. Jaron Jackson Jr. (laughs) Paul George never plays. Kawhi never plays. No, I I don't. Jeremy Grant. No, no, no. That's. To me, it's like you know, Fox and McCollum are kind of that last, yeah, that last spot, and you know, I, I go either way. I go either way. Yeah, like Darren Fox had such a good bounce back year from last year. McCollum's such a big impact, especially with Brandon Ingram mm-hmm. being out for as long as he was. Right. Um, you know, it's a coin flip to me. Fox was definitely the toughest cut for me. I do think the Kings have been an incredibly charming story, and I'm not trying to denigrate it in any way. Do they need two all-stars? I don't know that I need them to have two all-stars as exciting as they've been. It's also Brandon Ingram. My brother keeps texting me about like Zion and being like, are the Pelicans going to regret this? Is he always going to be hurt? Like He's played more than Brandon Ingram this season. Um, before we get out of here, I want to ask, what do you think about the NBA finally moving the draft to right before the game? I'm, I'm Again, another thing I'm very excited about. It's good. Um, it, it makes things a little more interesting. Um, although, like you're, you're talking to the wrong crowd here. Like I'm not <laughs> even staying. I'm not even staying for the game on Sunday. Like I'm getting in Thursday. I'm going to talk to who I need to talk to. I'm going to see who I need to see. I'll go to the availabilities to work on some things I'm working on. And then Sunday morning, goodbye. I'll see you <laughs> later. I don't need to sit in the upper, you know, levels of the newly renamed Delta Center to watch an all-star game. I'm good. I mean, for fans, look, it's great watching guys pick their teams, you know, right there. It's fun. I think the NBA has done a nice job in, you know, using gimmicks to make things a little more fun, but I just, I, I don't care. I, I, um, I, like, all-star to me is a nice break. Like, <laughs> give me a little bit of a break before the real games pick up again. Um. Yeah, all fair points. My only addition would be it needs to be a snake draft. That's why LeBron's teams win every year because he gets the first pick. It, like, who? come on. We all, everyone's playing fantasy sports all the time, et cetera. It's got to be a snake draft. Chris, I don't know if you want to text that to Adam Silver right now, but just I let am, him know. Actually, I'm there we go. Him Thank you. Immediately, that it should be a snake draft. And uh, th- this legitimately bothers me because people, something people love to run with on the internet, it's like LeBron is six and zero as an All Star captain, and I'm like, make it a damn snake draft. It's too easy for him. I don't think the selection of the players has anything to do with the outcome of the game. I don't. I think it's I think it's like who cares the most and who went out in Park City the night before. Like that's <laughs> that that is yeah. You you are way overthinking the All-Star game, my man. I know. Like are, I know I really am, but I do think this one if we're talking I, the about only, the only adjustment I would make and I've said this for years now is eliminate the skills competition and make a king of the court tournament because if you like, I think NBA players, top NBA players, would love the distinction of being known as the best one-on-one player in the NBA. It is a one-on-one league now, so if you make a one-on-one tournament, 
I think you will get more stars than you will get for skills, certainly more stars than the dunk contest. Um, and I think you will create better television on Saturday night. That's very interesting, and I wonder if the players would go for it because there's like an embarrassment factor, but it's high risk, high reward. I mean, the idea of literally yeah. let's get 10 all-stars lined up on the court, and it's like they're waiting Call, to come in. Who's the Allen Iverson Trophy. The Allen Iverson Trophy. All right, I'm I'm liking what you're putting down here, Chris. I'm doing um, it, well, that will do it uh, for this episode of Open Floor, uh, Chris. I'm sure we'll be we're looking forward to hearing about your party stories from Park City. Uh, we'll have to check in on that crossover episode. <laughs> Good to be back. Good to be back. It's like it's like Paul Pierce signing a one day contract with Boston. Good to be back in the franchise that I founded right here. <laughs> there you go. The house that Chris Maddox built. Uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, please keep your emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Until next week, continue to enjoy the NBA season. Whoa. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 